Hi everybody, welcome to episode 9 of TTYA Talks, the podcast. And my name's Irene Agbontine. I'm the owner of TTYA, the franchise. I'm a cultural consultant and also the host of this podcast. I just kind of wanted to dive in <laughs> prior until we get into this podcast, this special episode with a really good friend of mine, FKA Twigs, and just um, speak to you guys and kind of show you guys where my head is at a little bit. Um, like some of my peers, my heart has been extremely heavy um, over the last couple of weeks so much to the point where I actually didn't put out any episodes of the podcast just because I just used this time to kind of really self-reflect there's so many of us that you know had trauma resurface and were triggered by the effects of you know what we were seeing visually online whether it be Amud Aubrey or Breonna Taylor or um, you know George Floyd and to understand that the UK is not innocent either um, there's so many of us that have been on marches um, who have been using our, our platforms to speak out against systematic oppression and optical allyship but also I think it was important for me to come on here and state that I really stand against racism um, I've been using my platform in a way that um, hopefully people can see the authenticness behind that and I thought it was important to note that we actually recorded this episode pre the events that we have seen unfold in the media back in May and you know myself and Twigs out of respect for the families but also just taking the time now to you know deal with our own traumatic experiences. Twigs actually opens up in this episode about some of the racial injustice she's experienced and you know we just thought we'd pause and put out the episode when the time is right so we I wanted to offer my condolences to the families but also you know um, use this time to welcome people who might come to this episode for the first time but also welcome back the people who have subscribed and been listening to the previous episodes of this podcast and I really wanted this space to be an opportunity to really highlight women of colour who are really making great strides within the creative industries and sports and it just so happened that I really did dedicate season one to black women and showcasing that talent so without further ado um, I'd love to introduce episode 9 and really hope that you guys listen to this episode with open ears and an open heart. TTYA Talks the podcast. Hi guys, welcome to another episode of TTYA Talks with me at Irene TTYA. I started this platform as a way to connect with successful women who are pioneering within the creative industries and sports. So today guys, you know, we, you know every week we need to be focused. So <laughs> we need to face our front and be focused. And you know, this week we have one of the world's most compelling artists of her generation um, behind a really shy exterior. She's an incredible creative. She's a powerhouse. She's a businesswoman. And, you know, she's going to kind of delve in in some of the creativity that goes into making music from an artist's perspective and you know how she dealt with fibroids um fibroids is something that can affect up to 80 percent of women and on the higher end of that spectrum are women of color so you know to have twigs feel comfortable to come on today and speak about this because I was honestly, when I started doing my research, when I first found out about Twix having um, fibroids, I was flabbergasted at the statistics. I just couldn't believe that this many women had fibroids and it's not really something that is spoken about enough, to be honest. So, 
Yeah, like without further ado, let's welcome my homie FKA Twigs. So yeah, let's kind of let's start at the beginning. As with everybody, when they come onto the podcast, I'm always just like the easiest place is to kind of give us a back history. So let's talk about where you grew up, your heritage, and your inspiration, and how you kind of started your career in the music industry. Um, well, I grew up in Gloucestershire, um, in quite a small town. It was quite a magical, but for me, quite an isolated upbringing. First of all, being an only child and also being the only person of colour in the village, pretty much. Um, it kind of meant that I always, whether I wanted to or not, felt quite on the outside of everything. Mm-hmm. And um, although I guess being ostracised a bit was painful trying to fit in was more painful so I think to be honest with you I spent a lot of my childhood and my early teen years like daydreaming and um, that's something that always used to come back on my school reports it's just that like you know I'd be good if I like stopped daydreaming and I was very creative (laughs) I mean I could focus on anything creative you know like if it was something creative I'd be like you know, doing really well, but all in, yeah, yeah, I'd be all in. But I definitely just remember my school years are kind of a blur. I can't like it's just I think it's just like a series of like daydreams and like a flow of consciousness because <laughs> I just remember like staring out the window a lot onto like green fields. Um, I think I really started to find myself when I was kind of in my mid-teens and I started to come up to London to take dance class. And I just started to be around people that I connected with more. But then also not as well, because I was also a country girl and had like a bit of a farmer's accent and was shy, (laughs) you know. So there was still kind of that thing. But I definitely felt more at home in London. And I remember I I moved to London probably when I was 18, I think. And as soon as I lived in Sydenham with my mum, and as soon as we got onto Sydenham High Street, I just remember thinking like, yeah, this is so much better. Like this is like... I just felt like it was a big like sigh of relief. And then from there, I went to the Brit school for a very short amount of time. Um, I applied for the dance course. And after one term, I realized that I really wanted to do music. So I remember I went down to the music teacher and I was like, I really want to swap courses. And I think I'm supposed to be doing music, actually. And um, he said that I didn't have enough skills to do music actually can you imagine <laughs> yeah. yeah he said that I didn't have enough skills to do music so um I dropped out and I spent six months kind of like just dossing around South London just like I don't know just being wild teenager and then I enrolled in Croydon College and I went there for two or three years um, the South London one. Yeah, exactly. I had, I had that must have been kind of like a bit of a culture shock, though, because for moving to the country, to, like from Gloucestershire to London, and then enrolling in Croydon College. Because if you're from South London, you know that that's all walks of life end up <laughs> at Croydon College. So that must have been quite a big culture shock. Did you feel like okay, I kind of fit in a bit more here, or like you said, did you kind of always feel like again you maybe still a bit on the outskirts? I did feel a bit on the outskirts outskirts but it was just so much better Mm. like than where I was from you know I think I just had to find the balance within myself that 
you know, I think in the beginning, I feel like I used to like front a little bit, like as if I was from London and I wasn't. And I kind of like cringe a little bit. I feel like I used to act like I was like, I don't know, like some like bad girl or something, but I just wasn't. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, I did. Like I really, I really did. I mean, it wasn't conscious, you know, I think I was just like excited to fit in and be around people that like liked the same things as me, music, fashion, culture. Like, you know, I was excited to go to like, a bashment rave at like the Coliseum. Do you know what I mean? Like, I was, yes. you know, I was kind of a, around those sorts of times and it felt really real. You know, it, it mm. felt like inside my soul, I was being like nourished and it felt comfortable. Mm. And, um, and I felt like celebrated as well. I felt like for the, for the first time, like people would tell me that my hair was nice or something, you know? And mm. these are things that, um, that I didn't have back home. I was kind of, like made fun of for things like that so yeah it was it was a really like wonderful time and I feel like now I probably like romanticize it a little bit more like looking back it's always easy to be like nostalgic I think at the time of maybe course. I yeah at the time maybe I, I did I did feel like it was a culture shock but when I look back now it was kind of where I came into myself and where I discovered who I was and um it was really beautiful I remember like Croydon College though and like at the end of the first year getting a phone call of a withheld number of a girl telling me she was going to shank me in my face I didn't know oh, what wow. shank I didn't know what shank was. I friend. I was like, some girl said she's going to shank me in my face. My friend was like, just lay low for a couple of weeks. I like, okay. And I love the fact that you kind of had the courage because I think through this journey of this podcast, we've seen people who have switched through careers or like showing like you have to not follow your dreams, but more just like knowing what's right for you. And I feel like a lot of people maybe in that situation would have carried on at the Brits doing dance because they would have just been grateful for the opportunity to kind of be there because it's not really an easy school to get into. Um, What when you did fall out and I know like you've kind of spoken a lot about really writing from an honest place and you know writing when you're 22 or 23 about being in college and being a South London kid and to where you are now there's obviously a lot of influence and stuff that has changed over time I would love to maybe for you to delve in a little bit about how your writing has kind of evolved with that as well yeah well I think I had an interesting upbringing it wasn't easy do you know what I mean like I'm from like a low-income family like you know, I was brought up on benefits. I was on like the full thirty pound DMA scheme at Croydon College. Like, you know, it wasn't. Big. It wasn't. <laughs> no, that? we were all in. I remember that, sis. Yeah, but I'm not going to lie. I used mine to do driving lessons, but <laughs> we'll save that one for another podcast. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, like, I didn't have like an easy life, but I felt like when I was young. I just felt quite resilient you know you know when I get like mm. kicked down I feel like I could just bounce back up I had like a real like fire in my stomach like for a long time I really did um and I think when I wrote EP1 EP2 LP1 I feel like I just still had that bounce back in my life whereas mm. for me when I started to hit my mid-20s life really got very real for me very quickly mm. um first of all just from being like very very quickly sort of catapulted into the public eye um just like members of my family having like quite serious health problems when I was sort of at the you know at the biggest point of my career at that oh, yeah, point yeah yeah like my personal life just at home was quite overwhelming 
and um I had my own health problems as well and it just mm-hmm. life just became very real and actually I found I found it hard to write for a long time because um I was just dealing with very adult things that I felt I think quite nervous to write about for me when in my early 20s it was easy to, to talk about me discovering my sexuality and vulnerability and relationships and love and it all mm. felt very sort of like dangerous and cute you know like mm. it, I remember when I first started writing Magdalene and it took me about four years but maybe like at some point into like the second year of making it I called I'd written cellophane and I'd written thousand eyes and I think I'd just written mirrored heart daybed and I remember calling up my manager crying on the phone and I was like I'm making a heartbreak album and I really do not want to make a heartbreak album (laughs) like I really I was like I really I don't want to go on stage and sing these songs I'm just going to be crying every night like I was like this isn't what I want for myself like I wanted to be sassy and sexy and be on stage with like a hundred girls in leotards you know, like Mm. swishing my hips and like swinging a ponytail around. Like that's kind of, I'd like been voguing. Like I kind of had this vision that like LP2 would be this like femme, fabulous, like extravaganza. Yeah, Yeah, I wanted to like like, come up on stage with like my hand in the air and like a windshield. And it was like really humbling to just accept that that had nothing to do with who I was at the time. Like it couldn't be Mm. farther away from the truth. And and yeah, that was, it was a difficult realization and it was painful, but it was really good for me. And it taught me, yeah, you do have to tell the truth. I've always told the truth in my music, but sometimes the truth is a little bit more sexy and sometimes it's not mm. sexy at all. Um, so yeah, I, th- I think that's how it changed. And it was, you know, writing Magdalene was amazing because I felt like I really broke a barrier in myself about writing about what I was really going through, not what rhymed or not what I thought people wanted me to be or not that who I was hoping to be at like 23 pipsqueak years old do you know what I mean like Mm -hmm. it was I wrote who I was and it was really painful and it was amazing like when I released cellophane and even now to this day like it's just become like (laughs) such like a (laughs) it's kind of like such a ballad of like our generation now even though it's only like a year old it just feels like so many Mm. people connect to the the pain of it and it's just something that keeps on growing and keeps on going and new people are discovering it and that makes it all worth it for me you know like when when people even when people like put it in memes and stuff like that I like it you know it's it's everyone's digesting it in their own way yeah talk to us a little bit about your kind of creative process when you're making an album because I think that a lot of people even for me I think wow Twigs always outdoes herself like when I see your visuals or you'll call me and be like guess who I just went in the studio with and I'll be like hey but like just like your whole creative process from beginning to end for me I always find it so I just watch you sometimes and I just think oh my god she's like so amazing <laughs> um I think it's different every time really I kind of just let the album make itself I mean I write like I write a lot of songs all the time I mean I write probably I mean I can write like 10 ideas down in a in a week do you know what I mean like not all of them are going to mm. get finished but sometimes I can like write a song a day for like three weeks lyrics vocals everything and um I don't well at the moment today I always have preferred like shorter projects like things that are either like mm-hmm. EPs or like albums that are kind of you know 40 minutes long which is on the shorter side but I don't know I just let the album tell itself like it's very clear 
for, to me, when I start to get a group of songs that start to come together that tell the honest story, and I just have to wait for those songs to come, and I'll have two, and then I'll have three, and then I'll have four, and eventually I'll have like eight, and then maybe it might take me a year to get another two. But I'm okay with that. Like I, I like being patient. I love it when the story is slowly revealing itself to me because that's when I feel like I know it's coming from a deeper place. When I'm working from the outside in, it feels false. Like I don't like working from references. I don't like working from liking someone else's music and trying to replicate that. Um, I like to work quite subconsciously that my inside tells a story that maybe I didn't even want to hear, but it's the truth and sometimes the truth is painful um so yeah that's kind of how i make an album my earlier projects came together much easier but magdalene really did take like three or four years it really took Mm. a long time to reveal itself and i spent a lot of time working with a lot of different people that i'm sure were very frustrated with me when nothing made the album you know but it's just kind (laughs) of that's part of the process but did you have it did you have a bit of anxiety maybe stepping away from music for quite a while because that creative process for you to be able to produce the best work that you're also happy with does take time so sometimes Mm -hmm. when you feel that you're maybe away from the industry for what we perceive as some time does it sometimes maybe gear up some sort of anxiety when it's time for you to kind of relaunch or step your foot back in because you know you're quite sheltered when you're making music we all know when Twigs is in the studio because she's just in her own lane she's just doing her <laughs> thing and then you kind of just kind of be like hi guys I'm back but obviously sometimes yeah. there's long periods of time between that do you ever have any anxiety around that or knowing that you know now you're going to be again like back in the news or back in the papers or you know people are going to be writing stuff about you how does that sometimes how do you internalize that um it, to be honest, the four years went kind of quickly because I, I did a lot of things. I like was directing for like Calvin Klein and Nike mm-hmm. and doing a lot of sort of creative things outside of music that felt really good. Um, obviously, I set up Avant Garden, which is like my Instagram magazine. Like I, I always felt like I was really busy and working. Like even when I was like away from specifically music, it. I was like really busy. And then when I wasn't busy, it was because um, I was unwell. So that just kind of took like about a year or a year and a half to, to get better again. But I don't know. I'm always so busy. I think it's just like using different skills in a way. Do you know what I mean? I was just using like different sides of like my creativity. Um, and then in terms of like coming back and nerves and stuff, I mean, not maybe, yeah, I did. I wasn't like nervous. I think like, I don't know. I, I, I'm not very good at being like a famous person. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm. it's not really like, I'm not like the best at it. So it's more like that side of things. It's just like, all right, come on then. Like, where's the lipstick then? Let's put it on. Give me a lip. Let's get out there. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's kind of, you know, it's, I am a bit, a bit like that. <laughs> but it's weird because I love like dressing up. I do love it. Like, when I'm doing it, I do yeah. love it. But I just, also, I really love being in the studio and just working behind the scenes. I love practicing things. I love dancing. I love like acquiring new skills mm. way more than I enjoy like, you know, kind of um, prancing around, like being, I don't know, just all the noise that comes with it. I love practicing mm-hmm. stuff. And I, and I like doing those things behind the scenes you know I love the behind the scene process to me the sort of releasing it into the world is a little bit less 
interesting. Like I do enjoy it to a point. I love finishing things. I love like, ta-da, like the finished thing. But actually, as soon as I release something, I I kind of lose interest in it. And I know like a lot of artists are like always really obsessed with like Googling themselves and checking like the Mm -hmm. likes and checking the views (laughs) and stuff. But I get bored very quickly. You know, like I'll be like, oh my gosh, I released something. And then for a day I'll be like, yay. And then I'll kind of think, okay, like what else can I do? What's next? Yeah. yeah, like what's next? Do you know what I mean? Um, so yeah, I guess I was a bit nervous, but I think I was more, I think I was more like worried just because I'd had health stuff about my stamina on tour and things, mm. but I took very like specific, I put very specific things in place to make sure that I would be well enough, like, you know, my diet and working out yeah. and just making sure that I was really at like optimum health so that I could go and you know, be the best on stage because I do love performing. Like I love being mm-hmm. on stage. Well, let's let's get into your health then because even for me, seeing the transformation of even just within your confidence as well, like seeing how you are. Like when I watched your Grammy performance, I just remember thinking, "Wow!" Like not even that. That's my friend because you get gassed about your friends doing sick things, but more just like knowing that how much you went into. Like even when I saw you in LA and you were like practicing for that performance like just seeing how much dedication and I think behind the scenes people don't see a lot of the work that goes into it and I know we've spoken about fibroids but I think it was more just like people don't even understand like how much it affects women in general so you know it affects 20 to 50 percent of women and at the higher end of that range is women of colour. Um, again, it's not cancerous, but, you know, it can be incredibly, incredibly painful. When did you first find out that you had fibroids? Um, I'm so bad with, like, years and dates, but I knew mm. that I wasn't well for a year. Fibroids are a strange thing because a lot of women do have them, but it's kind of like, to what extent do you have them? Almost yeah. like, right, you know, like some people need contact lenses, some people are long, long-sighted or short-sighted and then some people can't see do you know what I mean it's like you can't Mm. it's it's basically like it's on a scale of severity mine Mm. personally very severe like to the point where when I eventually ended up going like to the doctors as an emergency like I woke up one morning and I couldn't sit up like I just was in so much pain that I actually just physically couldn't sit up and Mm. I'm quite petite and mine was so big they were like if I like sucked in my stomach like you know when you like really draw in your stomach like you could when just you're trying see... to take pictures me <laughs> <laughs> me how about sucking my stomach when i'm taking pictures <laughs> yeah <laughs> like that like, you could see mine like, you could physically see mm. them you could grab them like i could put my hand into my stomach and grab them like eggs you know um wow. and I was working so much and I was so determined that I was going to like make an album, blah, 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 that actually I knew that I had some sort of growth in my stomach for a long time and I didn't do anything. And I kind of assumed that I had stomach cancer and that I was going to die. And it was wow. like this kind of underlying stress that I never told anybody about for about like... I was about to say, you never told me that. <laughs> you never told me that. <laughs> didn't tell anybody. I just thought cancer basically. And I thought that... I don't know. I just thought that the, this is going to sound so weird because I'm not a doctor, but in my head, I had mm. decided that if you have stomach cancer or like bowel cancer, that basically like that's one of the more severe forms of cancer and you were going to die. And I thought I was going to die. And I just thought that like, there's so many people that like depend on me and, and there's so many, 
you know, I'm like running this business. I have like employees mm-hmm. and everyone that, that I work with, are my friends and I love, I just didn't want to like stress anyone out that I was sick. Mm-hmm. So I just thought, well, I'll just die and it'll be sudden and it'll just be quick. And I know it's so dramatic. So like I called my stepdad one day, like when I literally was in so much pain, I called my stepdad and I was like, I've really messed up. My stepdad's Bayesian. So I've had quite like a Bayesian upbringing, which is, it's quite like, I know, you know, a Bayesian upbringing. It's just quite like, not strict, but it's just quite like, you just sort things Direct. Yeah. You just get on with it. Yeah. 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 I I actually think, I don't know. I was thinking about this the other day and I was thinking that out of like, um, all the West Indian islands, I feel like having like a Bayesian upbringing is probably like the closest to having an an African upbringing. I was still thinking about this the other day. Like it's just like, it's just like very like, just sort things out. Do you know what I mean? Like just Mm. sort things out. That's how I've been brought up anyway. My stepdad said it's like a Victorian upbringing, but like, yeah, just sort it out. So I called my stepdad and I was like, I just haven't done anything that you taught me in the whole of my life. And I've not done it. And 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 I think I have stomach cancer and like this could be it. And he was just like, okay, well, don't freak out. Like you've just got to go to the doctor. So I did. And then I went to the doctor and I had this nurse. And in America, they just do everything differently. And she, and so she was like, had this like ultrasound on my stomach and she was making these like noises as if it's like, you know, when someone looks at your boiler and they're like, mm. Mm. they're like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, like if someone's like looking at your car engine and I was like, mm. what is it? And she was like, I can't actually say until the doctor comes. And I was like, but is there something there? And she said, oh, yes. And I thought to myself, oh, oh gosh, God. I was right. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh. <laughs> and then the, the doctor took 15 minutes to come in. It was literally the longest 15 minutes of the whole of my life. And then he was like, you have fibroids. I didn't even know what fibroids were. You know, and I was like, are they cancerous? And they were like, they can be, but it's a very small percentage. I think it's only like 8% or something like that. Mm. cancerous. But I was still like, oh gosh. But mine were really big. And um, one of mine was actually, well, I had like a couple that were really like intruding into my colon. So I had Mm. like irritable bowel syndrome for a year. And I had one that had basically taken up over half of my bladder. So like the thing that people don't understand with fibroids is it can just make, all of your like body mechanics just mess up so badly like I just basically needed to go to the toilet all of the time like it was just so uncomfortable like even when I was in dance rehearsals and stuff like that if I drank a tiny bit of water I'd need to run straight to the bathroom um I used to have to like squeeze my you know like a hot water bottle Mm -hmm. like I couldn't wee. I had to squeeze my stomach to wee. And it was just something that I kept like a secret in to myself for like a really long time. So like if I tried to go to the toilet, it wouldn't come out unless I squeezed my stomach like a hot water bottle. Wow. Yeah. And it's ridiculous because I know like, I don't know, I feel, I feel it's important for me to share this because people will probably like assume that I'm like quite together and in many ways in my life I am. But then when it came to myself, I wasn't being like yeah. I wasn't looking after myself I was looking after everything else apart from just myself um so you can imagine me being on airplanes and stuff like, stuff like that like going like mm. to an airplane bathroom having to squeeze my stomach so that I can like pee it was just so intense it was such like an intense and sad period of my life and um will you describe them in certain terms of size as two cooking apples three kiwis and a couple of strawberries so a nice little basket of fruit there babes that you had come out of your <laughs> that you had come out of you and I think for me one thing that I didn't realize before um 
when I saw your, um, when we were talking was just how much energy it took out of you. Um, and I think for, especially for me, like, again, you were making out like not, not making out, but obviously you weren't really sharing how much pain that you were in. So again, when we were kind of first were speaking about you when you were not feeling well, it was kind of, yeah, you kind of played it down as well. You were just like, yeah, I'm not really feeling that well. I'm just, you know, but you know, when you actually, if I actually had a bowl of fruit and put two cooking apples and three people, and like you said, you're quite a petite frame. So I can't even imagine physically like how that was impacting you, your internal organs. Um, and how did you, so when you had the surgery, how long were you out of the game for? And, you know, what kind of impacts to your diet and things like that did you have to change post-surgery? Yeah, um, well, I had surgery. And then, of course, Spike Jones called me like about mm-hmm. three or four weeks after surgery and asked me if I wanted to do the Apple HomePod advert, which was like an all- dancing extravaganza so of course I didn't tell him anything about it like stitches mm. still in my stomach I was like yep see you in two weeks <laughs> and I remember him saying like can you come in a week I was having my stitches checked and and like the production were really putting pressure on me to go in a week and I just remember like really like trying to like fluff around coming do you know what I mean like just really like using the, the time difference because I was in the UK like using the time <laughs> difference between like UK and LA to like buy me a day and then like waiting for a whole day to send my passport details like every single day of like rest at home trying to stretch it out but then obviously I knew that I needed at least like two weeks rehearsal so then I flew out there and um, I think I also had like a doctor's appointment to like check my stitches which I was like I should probably go to that before I before I like go and do like a mini musical so I went and I did like the HomePod advert which in some ways was like quite good because it sort of kicked me out of like feeling like sorry for myself and I had to I just had to like get with it. But then in other ways, you know, it's quite dangerous. Oh, hold on. Whoa, 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 whoa. Because I'm even remembering this HomePod advert now. You was bouncing from side to side, from wall to wall, climbing up and down. Yeah. So I need you to really be explaining to me how you was bouncing from side to side. Yeah. When you had stitches in your stomach, sis. Yeah. Let's be focused here. Like I split my stitches. I had like stitches all down my belly button. I split them on the last day. Like it was a mess. I don't recommend it, but like, you know, I'm kind of like that. I just, I'm just like, okay, I just put my mind to something and I'll go and do it. Um, but I was so, I just remember, I mean, I'm all, always very tiny, but I remember when I did the HomePod advert, I was so thin. I just yeah, couldn't like so... eat. Yeah, I was mm. so, so thin. I just remember feeling quite like lightheaded a lot of the time and stuff. And, you know, it's no one's fault other than my own. I think I only told Spike, like, well, I only actually told Spike Jones actually how bad it was after the advert because I thought that he might not use me if he knew. But I mm. remember I told him, like, maybe we did three days shooting and I told him maybe on, like, the second day that, like, I was feeling a bit weird. But by then they were stuck with me so we'd already shot two days. <laughs> <laughs> Don't cry and um, beg, you said. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. I was like, continuity, you've got to keep me now. <laughs> um, but, you know, everyone was very, like, sweet. And it was such a wonderful experience. And I was working with Ryan Heffington, who had done my first tour, and it just really felt like a very, like, nurturing space mm-hmm. for me to, you know, it felt like a nurturing space for me to go back into... Um, and then after that was when the real work started. So just like a lot of rehabilitation, like the only way that I can describe it is I felt like all my organs were glued together. All the scar tissue had like pulled my stomach forward. And I spent like a year in just constant like rehabilitation and I became a vegan. Um, 
I had to completely change my diet and it's hard to know why it is that women of color have a higher rate. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a lot of reasons. I think it's partly to do with diet and the food that we're brought up on. Chicken is bad, like eggs, any like non-organic meats or non-organic food is just bad because any of those toxins are going to be held like in the tumors. They're going to make the tumors grow. Mm. And anything that has estrogen in it, so like eggs, soy, anything like that is going to make the fibroids grow because they grow from having an excess of estrogen. I also Mm. think it's a lot to do with like, I mean, as I'm, and I'm still unpacking it now, like it's, you know, I'm sort of a couple of years ago, but I'm still unpacking it and I'm still like trying to figure it out. I think it's also just to do with a lot of like ancestral trauma. Mm. Um, Oh my god, we speak about this all the time. That's like a whole other podcast. <laughs> uh, it is. I, I think it is to do with a lot of ancestral trauma, and I think it's to do with just a lot of like internalized stress because of bloodline trauma. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think it's just like lifestyle, and I think within the black community, there are a lot of there's a lot of like sugar consumed, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, and sugar, like, will just accelerate growth of fibroids. Um, it's really sad, to be honest with you. Like, when I first started, like, properly looking into it, it mm. made me really angry. I just started to see what a disadvantage women of colour are at. And this is obviously, these things affect your fertility, which, do you know mm. what I mean? Um, in turn, for me, at least, like, I felt like that affected my womanhood, you know, mm. like, and the worry of like, can I have children? Um, so anyway, like I, I had the surgery, it got removed. And then within three months, um, they'd grown back. And it was just, it was devastating. And that's when I just had to take it seriously with my diet. And I have six more fibroids now, but they're really small. And okay. I had a scan like a month ago or so. And they'd stayed the same size. So it just goes to show like diet does work, not eating meat, consuming less sugar. Um, I started um, going down more of like a holistic route with my health. And I have like herbs that I take every morning that balance my estrogen. I got all my hormones checked, but I Mm realised that I'm lucky to be able to like afford to, yeah, like not, not everybody can do that. But I think, you know, fibroids is essentially at its purest form an imbalance in hormones that causes these growths like um in the uterus so yeah like once I got my hormones sorted a lot of things got better like my skin got better I knew I was ill before because I was just getting like the worst skin like I just Mm. had like the worst acne but it was like not like just spots from like sweating or wearing makeup it was like from the inside out it's like my body was screaming at me I'd get rashes all the time like yeah like IBS just my body felt like it was screaming at me like just sort me out um so now I just listen to my body more and I know yeah I I know like that I need to look after it and listen to it and um and honor it as well there's actually an amazing book um there's a woman that I I did a sacred moon dance with an Afropunk called Queen Afwa. And mm. she has a book called The Sacred Woman. That's kind of a lot to do with like um, looking after yourself as a woman and um, 
female issues and dealing with it on a spiritual and then also kind of like a practical level through diet, um, mm. through laughter, through, you know, just self-love and looking after yourself. And I'd recommend anybody who is suffering from fibroids to get that book because Queen Afwas helped a lot of women with endometriosis and fibroids and other fertility issues. Um, she's really incredible. And yeah, I think just check out her work. But this is something, you know, this issue is something that like, I do want to talk about more. And, and I have definitely felt like a responsibility to like come forward and share my story. And actually just help people like, yeah, I can share my story. But that's probably like a lot that I I can do just to like share information but also like I've had to I've had to like heal myself from it mm. as mm-hmm. well so I think like I've yeah I've I feel like I'm still kind of in the process of putting that to bed a little bit and I'm almost there but when I am there like it's something that I really want to be able to just share but also I don't feel like anybody has expectations of you two either because I think sometimes you know when you're in the public eye it's almost as like people feel like you have to speak on certain issues or you have to speak on health things that have happened to you and I feel like even with you you've educated the people around you first because when you had it that's when I started researching into it because I didn't I was like wow like you was the one that was telling me about black women are more likely to get it and I'm like okay wow let me just research this a bit more so even the fact that you were just even educating the people around you first. And I guess with this, this is another step in putting yourself out there a bit more. But I feel like sometimes with artists, we're expecting them to kind of be like this all seeing, (laughs) like you said, holistic um, advocate. But I think even just you educating the people around you, starting with that was a good step because now I can speak, not that I can speak on it because I've never had it, but at least I can be like, wow, like, did you know this? Or if anyone tells me they've got stomach cramps, you're automatically going to think, have you checked this? Or what's your diet? Like, so even just educating the people around you, I think first was a really good step for, well, I can only speak for me because you made me go and research it because I was like, wow, if this is happening to my friend, who else is this happening to? And obviously I'm a woman of colour. I've got loads of women of colour around me. So let me educate myself on this the best way that, I can. Irene, it's crazy. Like, I mean, estrogen is just a massive no-no. There's estrogen in cling film. So if you're putting cling film over your food, that that estrogen is like then sinking into your food and you're eating it and you're... I read something on like, even like the ink on the receipts or something as well. Yeah. So there's like ink on receipts. So if you're touching receipts, like when you get on the bus and then, do you know what I mean? Or like in a shop or whatever it is, do you know what I mean? Like, like when you touch that like thin receipt paper that has got estrogen in it as well crazy see i didn't know yeah. that until i did my research <laughs> yeah it's funny actually because um like kind of a, a lady that i know was saying that she's she's had fibroids and she when she was younger used to get on the bus and roll the bus receipt in her fingers and it was almost like a nervous habit and she'd do it do you know what i mean like two three times a day like she'd take and she'd roll the the bus receipt in a certain way and like put all the ink all over her fingers and she's like she did that for years or through her teens so she's having all that extra estrogen like go into her bloodstream it's like without even realizing without even realizing do you know what i mean it's it's messed up how do you sustain when you're traveling because obviously we're all over the world (laughs) how do you sustain this especially when you're on the road or when you're on tour um what diet and stuff like that yeah yeah um you know I think sometimes I just have to see food as fuel 
Mm. You know, like if I have to eat like a raw broccoli rather than have something that's bad for me, like dairy, then I'll just I'll just do it. <laughs> um, <laughs> it can it can be a bit like miserable sometimes, like depending on where I'm at. But you know, also it's we're at a time where we're lucky enough that most places you go, like you can get like vegan options or like you know you you can get options to to eat healthily. You just need to make the correct choices and do it in a in a consistent way. But yeah, it is a challenge for sure like there's plenty of times where I've been on tour I've not enjoyed a meal I've eaten for weeks it feels but you know it kind of is what it is and I think for me like if all else fails and I don't do it often but say if I really am somewhere and I end up like in a hotel got a show the next day and I get I look at the menu and it's kind of all like chicken and cheese like worst case scenario like I'd rather just fast and figure Mm. it out in the morning like I'd rather just say to myself, okay, I'm just going to do like a little fast tonight, drink some water, have a mint tea water, and tomorrow. Yeah. yeah uh, tomorrow I'll like wake up and eat something nourishing and good. Yeah. I think just I have to be quite strict with myself. But I, obviously I do, you know, I, I do give myself treats as well. What's a treat? <laughs> oh, you know, I love cake. <laughs> so I wanted to talk to you about bouncing back a little bit um you know kind of be you mentioned it a little bit earlier that you don't really do that well like being thrust into the limelight and I think even being on the sidelines I found really difficult was people speaking on someone that you find very close to you on a subject matter that they have nothing about so you spoke a little bit earlier on kind of being not doing very well kind of being thrust into the into the limelight and I think we all know you, you know, were dating someone who was pretty famous and, you know, even from a mental health well-being kind of perspective, how did that affect you? Because I think so many, I even remember going on Twitter and being like, don't come for her unless she sends for you kind of vibe. Like, and that's how I was kind of like, because I think so many people kind of lunged at you and spoke about race and just the memes and all the kind of things that were kind of online at that time. How did you manage your mental health within that space? Because I feel like, especially also doubling the fact that you work in an industry that can sometimes be very surface level. And I found that even when you're in LA and I know you were in LA for a very long period of time, that could be very much elevated and heightened. How did you kind of mental manage, sorry, your, your, your kind of well-being within that space? Um, like probably not very well if I'm completely honest with you because you have to remember when this was happening to me it was probably like 2014 2015 I'm so bad of years around that time this was kind of like the world before the world decided that that wasn't okay yes this is honestly even before I've I mean it's still we're still working on it but it's even before like I felt like women of color had a platform Uh, to me I felt like it was before like women of color were allowed to be women of color without compromising themselves or having to fit in mm. in a certain way. Like this is actually, I know it's only a few years ago, but it felt like a very different time to be in the industry. Indeed. I mean, Indeed. I remember I did like a short, a quick like statement saying how like racism is like unacceptable. You know, it was very like, it was very like clean and short, but I remember even in doing that, I was very nervous because there wasn't a template for other people that had done that. I felt like mm. a lot of people would just take the abuse and just kind of be quiet mm. about it. And um, it was really horrific. Like, I think the thing that I found most difficult about was 
the thing that I found most difficult was that like I'd grown up because I like grew up in a predominantly white area like I'd grown up with certain comments and slurs and stuff that made me feel very insecure about the way that I looked and then I'd gone to London and I'd gone through a great amount of like healing and Mm. self-love and then coming to really like how I looked and really appreciate like the things about me that I was like teased for at school perhaps and then I you know went through my early 20s and just wasn't thinking about it I mean you know what it's like being in London like you can have times where you just don't think about it because it's such like a like we're such like a multi-racial multi-faceted yeah. city it's just city. like it's just a norm and then you step out of london and you're like okay yeah yeah exactly <laughs> the bubble so is popped spoiled. yeah I've yeah spoiled. i've yeah. been in london for a long time so to then get to get to my mid-20s and be confronted with some of the worst things you know like it was disgusting actually let's be honest it was disgusting it was disgusting <laughs> um yes so for me the truth of it is I found it really painful and it gave me like for a time I felt like it gave me like quite like not like body dysmorphia but like facial dysmorphia or something I don't know I remember um there was like a trend online where no matter what I was doing somebody would post a picture of a monkey doing the same thing Mm. so if I was like photographed on a bike then there'd be like a picture of me on a bike next to like a monkey on a bike or if I was like wearing a red outfit, there'd be like a picture of like a chimpanzee wearing a red outfit. And um, I remember looking at myself in the mirror and whereas before all of it, I would see like the profile of my ancestors, which is like Jamaican and Egyptian. I would see like mm. a long neck. I'd see like my nose. I'd see my mouth like protruding out. And I would feel empowered by that. Mm. And it's something that I even like highlighted a lot in my early artworks, like a lot of profile pictures, a lot of like using more traditional like hairstyles, like something that I wanted to be known for, you know, Mm. like this this is who I am. This is my heritage. Like I'm proud of this. For a time I would look in the mirror and I would just see the profile of a monkey. Mm. Oh, Twiggler, that makes me so sad. That makes me so sad. That makes me so, so sad. That makes me so, 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 so sad. Honestly. And I think even for me, like, I remember at that time, just remember being like, how can people just be so hateful? Like, and I think for us, because we do live in a bubble, we don't really, are not accustomed to feeling, um, like we don't get in and we could probably go into a whole thing about talking about systematic and generational like tra- like we said trauma and in the industry that we're in and still feeling like we're still fighting for a seat at this so-called table you know but then now it's like our music and our culture and our vibe is what's making money so now it's full thrust into like the front you know so I think you know now obviously things have moved on and there is this kind of it's taken people dying or people committing suicide for people to kind of wake up and understand that, you know, internet trolling is a form of bullying. Like it is, it was bullying at the time. And I definitely feel like there needs to be more um, legislation in place to kind of stop people. It's like this kind of trigger happy, like, you know, it's like, you know, when you was younger, yeah, people had so much to say when they went around you. And then when you're in front of them, they've got nothing to say. 
<laughs> they got nothing to say. <laughs> but I think the worst thing about it is, is back then, you know, I was like trying to seek advice and explain to, you know, certain people that were the closest to me, like, oh, this is how I'm feeling. And a lot of the advice I was getting back was, oh, just ignore it. Just don't read it. Mm. You know, whereas I think now that's not really the attitude. Now it's yes. like your account will get deleted off Twitter and you'll be sacked from your job and you'll be like publicly shamed and loads of people are going to at you in the racist thing that you wrote. And then you're going to be like shown up for the type of person that you are. Mm. You know, now it is literally like that. Like if you, if you say something racist online and then the wrong person retweets it or something you can just get completely shut down brutally yeah, as, as you should do you know what i mean mm. back then it really it wasn't like that i think now you know people that are you know i don't like to use the word woke but yeah people that are that's the only word i can think right now but like yeah. people that are like and want to fight for people like they feel like they can and it will get somewhere whereas back then it it really it was not like that. We can say culturally conscious. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Rather than woke. Me too, sis. Me too. So what activities kind of make you feel good about yourself? Oh, gosh. I love stretching. I'm a big stretcher. Um, I love working out. Um, you're my inspiration because I look at you and think my legs can never reach that. I can never do that. But, you know, we're going to try and get it, sis. We're going to try and be, do flexible one. <laughs> like, well, you know what I'm like? Like, if you come around, I'm always, like, rolling around the floor, like, stretching. Yes. Like, yeah, I've always been like that. I love stretching. Like, I just love it. I don't really know what mm. to say. I love stretching. It's, like, my favourite thing. It just makes me so happy. Even, like, last night, I was, I was sitting on my sofa. I was like, oh, I'm in a bit of a bad mood, actually. I was watching like a film. I was like, oh, I feel like in a bit of a bad mood. I was like, let me just stretch. And then I was literally stretching for five minutes. I was the happiest person. I felt like a little puppy Aww. or something. I was just like, oh, like, <laughs> just so happy. I'm here. I've got all my stretching toys. I've got my little blocks. I've got my balls. I've got my strap. Like, I was watching the television. <laughs> I was like, oh, it's lovely. Um, it's lovely. <laughs> I've got a couple of fire questions for you. So, okay, um, career highlight. Oh, I just, honestly, I couldn't even say that. I have no idea. You know what I'm like? I don't really like, I just, I just, my brain doesn't work like that. I don't know. That's really difficult, Irene. Okay, maybe me as your friend, can I say two things that I was very proud at watching you at? Okay, so one was Coachella. I think my experience, I remember being on the buggy with you and we were going to stage and Beyonce pulled up alongside us. Do you remember? Do you remember this? Beyonce pulled up and I remember you gave me that look of don't you dare drop my kit because I had your like makeup kit thing <laughs> and I think I was you're always so cool calm and collected but I think that's when I really thought wow like not that my friends are star but just seeing how you impacted other artists was one for me and two I think was maybe your Grammy performance and do you know why I've, yeah do you know why because I think it's because I was with you the days running up to it so just seeing and this is me like seeing you like obviously I knew you had quite a short time to kind of you know learn the routine and but just seeing how you'd matured as an artist and seeing how you felt confident to speak about what you wanted to do what you didn't want to do and you know just see it I just remember looking at you and thinking are uh, you know because you know our dynamic has always kind of been like big sister vibe in it so I've always been like you know 
always seen you as like my, my, my baby sis kind of vibe. And when I saw you kind of step into your light at Grammys, I thought, nah, like you bossed it. Like you were confident, like you had co- uncomfortable conversations, which I think the twiglet that I would have known a few years ago, maybe would have shied away from it a bit more. Um, and you also just kind of owned it. And for you, and I'm going to say this in the most, probably the most ratchet way possible, but to see you on a stage at the Grammys, busting it open, yeah. <laughs> and kind of like all these artists like standing up, giving you a round of applause at this Prince tribute. For me, I just thought, you know when you're just like, that's my friend. Like I stood up and I was like, that's my friend. That's my friend. Like, I just felt so proud. But I don't know for me, that was my two experience that I just remember thinking, you are incredible. Maybe you agree, maybe you don't disagree, but I don't know. I would love to hear, like, maybe what, or maybe let's rephrase the question. One of your most favorite performances, maybe? Well, I think like doing the Magdalene tour was really incredible because I felt like I was truly able to express all of my skills at the same time, like to have directed the show with Theo Adams and to like, it, I just felt like the whole of my creative world and everything that I love doing, like pole dancing, wushu, like, classical dance like you know everything singing opera singing like just some bop like everything that I love was all in one place in an hour and a half and Mm. that was really sort of I felt yeah really happy about that and I really loved actually doing the Fallon performance with the pole dancing because because that because that's kind of like live so Mm. yeah don't mess up (laughs) so that was good and just a quick one, like maybe some of the people that help you BTS, because again, people see you for forward faces, but there's like you said that you, you have so much people on the payroll, like you're a whole business entity, which I don't think people really understand with an artist. Who are some of your, like, your kind of BTS guys that really help you be FKA Twigs? Well, I always say like, you know, as an artist, don't forget to take your medicine and your medicine are usually like, you'll have like a few people that are your medicine that will like just keep you grounded and keep you creatively inspired and and good so for me I think like Matthew Josephs has to be like he's like my brother a long time yeah. yeah so like we like figure out everything together like you know I love our relationship um I miss Matthew over these isolation days mm-hmm. um but yeah it, I think Matthew is just incredible and so talented and just so like any idea that I have, he just helps me elevate it to like the maximum degree. He just knows everything. Like he knows every picture, like just he knows every fashion show. Like I'll be like, oh, what was that? Like, it's, I think it was like maybe Dior and it was like, like maybe gold something. And he'll be like spring, summer, 93. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, like he's, he's just amazing. And just a true artist. And, um, Working with Matthew and Ed as well, who does all of my costumes at like Ed Marla, is a genius. Yeah, I'm I'm really lucky actually to have those two in my life. And then my manager as well is um incredible and I've been working with him since I was nineteen years old. So that's a long time and he just really supports me and listens to me and just yeah, he never like tells me to do anything. Like he never like has pushed me in any direction he's always just been there for me for whatever direction I want to take and help me build the right team and stuff and has always been like brutally like honest with me but also like will push so hard to get me the things that like he feels like I need and yeah I'm lucky I have a I have a I have a good team around me and 
I've got an amazing glam squad and we're all like such old friends though do you know what I mean like mm-hmm. we've all known each other for so long like it's mm-hmm. kind of it's just like you know hanging out really it doesn't feel like work half the time if I'm honest with you and, uh, and that's why I love being around you guys and seeing your dynamic um and it, it's kind of like a family vibe like even wherever you are in the world you know whether I'm coming to see you backstage at you know Brixton Academy which is down the road from my house or seeing you at Coachella backstage in LA like it's always like a, that family you're always with your it's like you've got your little crew you know um so what's next what are you allowed to tell me <laughs> what's next I don't know really I never really know I mean I'm just making music I don't know I, I feel like I, I put something on Instagram the other day saying oh should I make a mixtape and everyone's like make a mixtape so maybe I'll do that <laughs> maybe um I don't know I think I really want to start exploring more like movement stuff I've been working with an amazing choreographer called Juliana Nunes before everyone got locked down like we were mm-hmm. training together and it was really really incredible and I, and I just felt like my movement was really growing. So I'm excited to hopefully get back in with Nuna soon. Um, I don't know. I, I don't really, I think I just want to get better at stuff. I just, I like to see myself as like a craftswoman. You know, I like to practice my craft. I love that. Well, thank you, my little twiglet. Honestly, like for me to, how do I say this? For me to kind of have witnessed your journey, um, we met a very, very long time ago. <laughs> it feels like now, but in 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 incredible circumstances, actually, because I almost feel like we've had a sisterhood all these years. Um, and from seeing your first performance then to where you are now, it's just been an incredible journey to watch firsthand and understanding that this is a business, honey, but also that you're a real person. And I feel like that's one thing that I hope we'll be able to come across in this episode. And just how much of an amazing person that you are, I hope will shine through on this episode. So I just want to, I think one thing that we've kind of realized within this time is that nothing is promised to us and especially time is not promised. So I just wanted to say thank you so much for giving me your time and coming on here and being super honest and truthful with us. And I honestly can't wait to see what the future holds for you. Like, I really, really can't because you're, like I said, that you're at the beginning, you're one of the most talented people that I know. Focused. (laughs) Focused. So thank you, my angel. And yeah that's been tty talks guys with my homie fka twigs and you know don't forget to like love and subscribe and yeah we'll be with you guys again soon thank you thank you my angel i appreciate you with my whole heart